Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. This sermon is brought to you by Lead Pastor Priscilla Perumala and is titled, With Promises Like These. Good morning. Okay, I'm, I'm semi-excited to bring you this word. No, I am really, really excited. I'm just a little nervous. I think that's what's making me a little... Um, semi-excited, but I am ex- I'm always excited about God's Word and what I feel like He's saying to us as a church this morning. Pastor Stephen and my son Boston, our son Boston, he belongs to both of us, is in Kansas City celebrating my mother-in-law. That's a great, great accomplishment. I mean, they, they, she is, you know, celebrating just 40 years of blessings of being able to be here in America and, um, you know, live in, in, in a country that's you know, really been good to her um, and just honoring that and honoring God and, and allowing, you know, just seeing his hand in her life throughout these years. Um, so, you know, we, I miss them, but me and Avia, my daughter, we're, we're just, we're on our own. Two girls in the city just had, <laughs> just having fun. Um, so we, so God gave me a scripture and I just had been meditating on it and meditating on it um, for the past week. So hopefully you guys will hear my heart and I'll be able to communicate what I feel like God's speaking to us this morning. Um, The title of my message is With Promises Like These. And I got that from the scripture 2 Corinthians 7.1. I'm going to read that. Beloved ones, with promises like these and because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Now, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he had just talked about the promises of God and what God was doing in their lives and what Jesus was speaking to them, and he even quoted the Old Testament, talking about certain things that God was speaking to the people and saying, hey, these are promises that God's given us with promises like these and our deepest respect and worship of God. So he was looking at these promises and saying, how could I not give everything to the Father? Look at what he's promised us. Look at what he's given us. And so he says, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit to continue the complete development of holiness within us. So he was using that as an inspiration of, if I hold to the promises and if I allow myself to be awed by what God's done and is doing and is promising, then how can I not just constantly want to remove the things that keep me from him, right? right? With promises like these, how could I not want to do whatever I can to get close to Jesus? And he was challenging them. Keep the promises in your mind. Keep it at the forefront of your mind. Keep thinking about them because it'll encourage you to do the work that we need to do, the hard work. It's not easy to decontaminate yourself from addictions, habits, um, things that that keep us from the Father, especially if we've built habits around them. It's not easy to do that. But when we keep in our mind the promises that God has given us, has done, and that are coming, It's a great inspiration to continue the path and to keep working towards that goal. I want to set the foundational premise of this word and what I feel that I feel like God's given me. And I want to start, uh, and I want to do that with the scripture in Psalm 25, 14. It says, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. 
I urge you to do what even Jesus did. Find your private place. How many times in scriptures did Jesus go to the private place? How many times in scriptures did he get alone with God? The Son of God needed to be alone with the Father. He needed to draw away. When all attention was on him, afterwards you would see him draw away to the Father to get alone. If even the Son of God needed to do that, how much more us? Right? Find your private place and fight tooth and nail to visit it often. We have to. There's so many things outside of these four walls that pull us, pull our attention, drag our attention, things that need to, that that have to. I mean, we all have to work. We all have things to do. Life has to go on. We have kids. We have things that call our attention, and rightfully so. I mean, we live in an earth that requires, you know, money to buy groceries, money to pay rent. We live in an earth that's functioning in a certain way that does vie out our attention. But in those places, we do need, Jesus needed to speak the word, did he not? He needed to declare that he was the son of God and live a certain way. And people were pulling at him and pulling at him and pulling at him. But one thing he never let them get from him was his quiet time with the Father. He would even take a boat. The people would come. He'd jump on a boat and go to like another island. He's like, I need to be alone with my Father. We have to find those places where we get get alone with God. Meditating on God's word is what will allow you to have the strength and courage to do what 2 Corinthians says, to remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit. Now listen to this carefully. Otherwise, when not intimately connected to the Father, we will constantly wonder why we sacrifice the way we do for him and even wonder about its worth. If we live a life for Jesus and not connected to Jesus, living a life for him will be very, very hard. If we play the role of what Scripture says and not intimately connected to the Father, we're going to wonder, what, why are we doing this? It's going to get tiring. It's going to get frustrating. We're going to feel used and abused when we're not connected to Jesus intimately. Mm-hmm. The intimacy with Jesus is, fulfills the purpose of why we do what we do. Doing good things should not fulfill your purpose. Then we just become, you know, volunteer-based organization. We're not that. Our purpose is so that other people can know Jesus through through the lives that we live connected to the Father. How can I show someone that Jesus is good if I'm not intimately connected to him and and him being presently good in my life, right? The only way that I can do it is by example. So I just want to urge you to get alone with God. If you're feeling bogged down, if you're feeling tired in this walk, check yourselves. Take inventory. How well am I connected? How deep am I connected to Jesus? Because this living for God, it's hard. It's not easy. It's rewarding and good, and it's fill, filled with peace. But it isn't easy. So if you're feeling tired and worn down, check your connection. Paul spoke of promises that should inspire us to live a life of removal and constant growth towards holiness. I want to talk about two promises that have been my rock in times of struggle and in times of ease. I need the rock of the Father when I'm struggling and when I'm not struggling. I need him both times. I need him I need him in all seasons of my life. I need him to be my rock because if he is not my rock in times of ease, I will falter in times of struggle. If you're in a time of ease right now and it's kind of a good, you've got a good rhythm going, 
be weary of being not connected to the Father during that time. Sometimes during that, those areas, we tend to kind of like take a step back, relax, you know, our, our times with God tend to lax. But then when, when trouble hits, we're trying to fumble again to find our foothold in God. If you keep that constant and consistent, your mentality, your emotional health will be constant and consistent because it is founded in Jesus. So I have two points today because the last time I preached, I think it was an hour. So I, <laughs> so I'm doing two points. So I'm like Stephen, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be long today. So hey, if it's long with my two points, I'm so sorry. I tried. Okay, I really did. So the first promise I want to talk about is His promise of love. Psalm 42:8. Yet all day long, God's promises of love pour over me. Through the night, I sing his songs for my prayer to God has become my life. My prayer to God has become my life. Can you imagine praying to God becoming your life? Like everywhere you go, when you walk to the coffee shop, you're speaking to the Father. You're talking to God. You look over and see somebody um, walking. You don't know them. They look fine, but you pray for them. God, I pray for them. Wherever they're going to, wherever home they're going to, whatever situation, God, I just pray for them. You walk in and you pay the barista for your coffee. God, I just pray for them. I pray, God, that your favor goes over their lives. I pray for this establishment. You walk outside and you, you, you see the streets of Hamilton Heights. God, protect these streets. Why don't we constantly talk to God when we have that availability? I do. I, I, I wonder that of myself. Man, I had... 45 minutes from this train ride, right? And I'm sitting by myself and I'm on my phone instead of looking at people and saying, you know what? I have this power that I have access to, to pray to God. I have this um, privilege in life where God hears me. Why don't, you know, why don't we take time to train ourselves to look at people and see them for who they are as children of God and say, I'm going to pray for you and just pray right? Where we make prayer our life, where we make that a habit in our life. I'm not saying I'm there yet. I'm not. This is a desire and a wish for me. I'll be working towards this with y'all. But this is, this is what I want my life to be. I want, I want my life to be a life of prayer. How has he showed you his love? How has God showed you his love? And I can think of one major way. Some of us can sit here today and be like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm new to this Jesus thing, or I'm still kind of here questioning and wondering. I don't know how he showed me his love. I can tell you one major way that is a for sure way that he showed you his love. Whether you know him intimately or not, whether he is a distant thought or not, whether he is a fairy tale to you or not, here's one way that is for sure. And that's in John 3.16. For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, unique son, as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. There is a quote, and I can't remember who it's by, but this is what he said. If Jesus dying on the cross for my sins so that I can spend eternity in heaven was the only thing he ever did for me, then that would be more than enough. If you lived your whole life and that was the only thing, the one thing that he did for you and nothing else, that would be more than enough. And I thought, man, I want faith like that. I want to love God like that. Like, that if that's the only thing he did for me, then that would, I would be happy. I would be satisfied. But rest assured, he does go above and beyond that. What a good God. 
he doesn't stop there. He keeps going and he loves harder and deeper and further than what we could ever imagine. He doesn't stop there. Something about John 3.16 stood out to me that I just took for granted before. Um, God wants us to experience everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 says. We'll never perish, but experience everlasting life. Have you ever ate something that was like crazy good? Like so good. Earlier, I just told you guys about Levain, right? The cookies. I'm like, you guys have to go try this cookie. Okay. Um, you tell everybody about it. You post about it. You tag the makers of it in hopes that they'll, you'll catch their attention, right? Is, am I only one who does that? And be like, they'll give me free stuff. I'm like, I'm going to tag them. And maybe they'll see me and be like, you want some more cookies? Um, you know, um, we tell everybody, right? Then finally someone agrees to eat the delicious thing, right, that you're talking about, and you're with them. And you're just like watching, right? You're like watching them, like you're so gonna love this, right? And you just got your eyes on them. There's some sort of weird joy that comes with witnessing someone fall in love with the things that you love, like the things you like, right? There's something, there's something satisfying about that, like you just, you liked it? Yes, me too, you know? You're like connected, like awesome. God wants, us to experience everlasting life. He doesn't want to just give it to you. He wants to witness you delight in it. He can't wait to see you, see what he's been telling you about. He is waiting on the edge of of his seat to see you connect with the promises that he's given you. Because, not because you did what you were told, but because he wants to see you delight in the wonderful things he's created for you and I. Just like I'm waiting to hear from them, be like, I loved the cookie, you know, I'm excited, right? God just wants to see you and wants to delight in the pleasures that you'll take in the word that he's given you because it's a good word. What a good love we have in our Father. You want to know why parents dish out so much money to take their kids to Disney World, even though those kids don't remember a thing? It's because of the overwhelming joy and delight we feel watching our kids experience something that causes them wonder and excitement. Um, our kids had the privilege to, we all as a family had the privilege to go to Disney World a couple of years ago. Um, we were blessed by an organization called For Pete's Sake. I want to honor them. A just amazing organization. And what they do is they send families who have been affected by cancer and they send them off on respite and they set them up. So they set us up well. My husband um, was diagnosed with cancer a few years back. He's cancer free, thank God. But we went through it, man. We, we had a hard time during his chemo treatments, it was rough. And this organization took notice of us and said, we wanna send you and your family to go have some rest. So they sent us to Florida, sent us to Disney World. And um, so we had this really good idea of not telling our kids where we were taking them. So we get off on the airplane in Florida and they still don't have a clue. I mean, in the airport, they had like Disney World this, Disney World that, and I'm like worried they're gonna catch on. Still didn't catch on, they didn't know where they were going. They were even taking pictures with like Mickey and Minnie and still like, where are we going? So we're like, this is working perfectly. So then we just, we're gonna go to Disney World and we decide to blindfold them. We didn't realize how long it was from the arch where it says like Disney World to like getting in to see the Magic Kingdom. It was a good 45 minutes that they were blindfolded, okay? 
Um, so they were blindfolded for a really long time. So then we get, we, they're in line, like we're on the little tram, blindfolded, and the people are looking at us weird, like what is going on? They're in line, blindfolded. We're walking. I mean, we were committed. They're, they're going to be surprised, you know, and so... We get to the big like castle and then we're recording because we want to send it to for Pete's sake so that they can have something cool to see, you know, and we rip off the blindfolds. They had been blindfolded so long that the light hurt their eyes so bad. <laughs> they couldn't see, their eyes were closed. It, it, it was just a major, major fail. But we did all of that because we genuinely wanted to see the excitement of our children see Disney World. Like we were so excited. We went to great lengths and it backfired. But the point is, is that we will do anything to see joy in our children, and that's God. He wants to see joy in your lives. He wants to see you delight in the things that he has for you. The thing is, is that we have to receive them. He gives us gifts, but we don't have to open them. He gives us doors, we don't have to walk through them. It's up to us to, to take delight in what he gives us to delight in. God fills our lives with wonder and he fills lives with joy he fills lives with peace and not just any peace but a peace that transcends all understanding according to philippians 4 7 but above all he fills our lives with love and that love is a love with multiplication power it's a love that is exponential it moves beyond ourselves and touches those around us it is a multiplication type of love my son decided one day uh, not to go to children's church and sit in on one of his daddy's sermons. We were guest preaching, um, I think, back at our, our uh, Texas church at the Grace Place in Texas. Um, Stephen preached, and Boston listened very intently to every word Stephen said. I mean, he was, like, glued. And Stephen passionately declared his love for God and how his love for God was grander than his love for me and even his children. To which I heard a loud gasp next to me, and Boston was like, <gasps> really loud. And I looked over, and he crossed his little arms and, like, made this frowny face. And he just was mad the entire time. He was, like, adorably cute and angry, listening to Stephen's sermon for, like, the rest of the time. He could not believe that he just said he loved God more than him. We explained to Boston that when we loved God more, that allows us to love our kids big. Yeah. Without God's love at work in me, I'm just not a stable person, honestly. <laughs> I need God for stability in my life, my emotions, my mind, my thoughts. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like to think that I'd have it all together if Jesus, you know, was silent in my life or not present, but I wouldn't. I'm just not stable. I'm, I'm, I don't have it that together. Um, I need him as a stabilizer in my life, as a, um, as a, uh, oh, gosh, hopefully that doesn't mess me up too bad. Okay, sorry. I need him as a stabilizer for me. Um, otherwise, I'm, again, I'm not that stable. <laughs> I need my emotions to be filtered through God's love. I need my type of kindness to be filtered through God's love. I need my empathy to be filtered through God's love because it's mine isn't enough. My kindness, my empathy, my love is not enough. And it needs to be filtered through the love of Jesus because he perfects it and he makes it big and he gives it strength to love people that way, to have empathy. Because sometimes, um, uh, you know, empathy can get very tiring. Um, have you ever heard of compassion fatigue? That's a real thing. 
That's a very real thing, especially people who are caring for loved ones who are sick, um, who are mentally ill, who are physically sick. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. We need to have our compassion filtered through the love of God because ours is just not enough. It makes us tired. But Jesus gives us the strength through his joy. And when we find joy in the work that he's given us, um, we'll be able to do it, guys. We'll be able to affect people in a way that doesn't leave them hurt in our wake. You know, I'm just trying to love you, but we're like tearing them apart. You know, it, we've got to filter our love, our passion, our empathy through the love of Jesus. If I loved you the way that my dad loved me, then I would fall short. If I loved you the way that my first boyfriend loved me, I would fall short. If I loved you in any sort of way that the world has showed me love, then I would certainly fall short. But God's love is the best baseline to teach us on how to love those around us. Mm -hmm. But we insist on allowing flawed non-experts to teach us on the matter and shape us. We have to let God's love not only fill us, but teach us and change us. Our love alone for others isn't enough. It's selfish and it's self-seeking, and it might have good intentions, but deep down, we stay at the core of the reasoning behind our choices. It's always like us. You know, we like to give and give and give, but deep down, it's kind of really about us, right? But when Jesus stays at the core, he can fashion that and shape that and make it less about us and more about him. His promise to love us goes beyond ourselves, but reaches out through us to those around us. And that's what I mean by multiplication power. His love doesn't just affect me. It goes to every single person that I come encounter with if I allow him to teach, change, and mold me. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is large and incredibly patient. This is the passion translation. I love the passion translation. So if, you're, if you've been reading one translation for a while and you kind of want a, a new one, this one's a really, really great one. Um, so 1 Corinthians 13, 40, sorry guys. Um, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. We need to lower our walls that we built up to keep God out and from experiencing his love. Sometimes we build walls up to protect ourselves from others, not knowing that we're building that up to keep God's love out in our lives because his love for us has different intentions than what we think. Yes, it's for our healing, and yes, he moves in to make us whole, but his intentions go beyond us because he knows that we open up to people. People open up to people. We introduce God to people by loving on them, by allowing him to love us and change us. 
this scripture, you guys, if you're ever going to memorize one, this is one. If you're ever going to read one over and over again, I would encourage you to continue to visit 1 Corinthians 13, 4, um, because it speaks word of truth over love, and it gives us a good marker of how we should measure love um, and how we should love others. Good. It keeps bringing our hearts back. Okay, God, I'm loving somebody. Am I loving them um, in a way that does not give them shame or disrespect? Am I loving and them in a way when they have blessings and I and and I don't get jealous. We can keep turning to the scripture and allowing us to mold our love in a way that that is um, one that the word says. So we need God's love not just for our healing, but to help the world around us. If we learn to love just even a fraction, like 1 Corinthians 13, then we have the potential to change the world around us. We can change the world. There might not. Every seat in this room might not be filled, but there's enough people in here to change the neighborhood around us. Because, again, love doesn't just stop with us. If you love somebody and you give them kindness, likely it'll change their mood and they're going to give kindness to the next person. If you see someone in a bad mood instead of giving it right back to them, say, are you all right? Is everything okay? Instead of being like, you've offended me. Like, what's going on? Like, how dare you? Instead of saying, hey, you know what? I'm good. Something's probably wrong with them. Ask them. Is everything okay? Instead of, you know, quipping right back. If we learn to love the way that Jesus called us to love, we'll change the world. We really can. And we can change Hamilton Heights. You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's been a few jumpings in the neighborhood. Um, We had a pastor who came to visit a couple blocks down because we want to do a basketball camp um, for the neighborhood. And so one of the pastors came to, to scout out the basketball courts. And um, a friend of ours, because he wants to partner with Steven, so he went out there and gave us a call and said, hey, I'm in the hospital with a concussion. I was checking out the basketball courts. I got jumped. And he said, this is what he said, which I thought was phenomenal. He said, this made me even more convinced that we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do in the neighborhood. He said, I'm even more dedicated. Hamilton Heights needs us, guys. It needs, and it doesn't just need us to save it. It needs us to love it. We need to love people here. And, and, um, and he also went to the hospital, and they said there was another guy who had gotten jumped two blocks away in the same area, same day. We had a shooting two days ago at 151st at the park. Hamilton Heights needs our love, mm-hmm. and it starts with us. Yeah. The second promise, number two, you guys. Are close. <laughs> it's not going to be an hour. Promise number two, his promise to return. Jesus is going to return. That's a promise that he made, and that's a promise we need to know. 2 Peter 3.9, this means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. I love that scripture. Because a lot of us struggle with God not answering our prayers quick enough, right? God, where are you? How come you haven't answered now? I need you right now. Can you do it now? Hello, where are you? You see what's going on here, right? And sometimes we just want him to answer. But I love how in 2 Peter 3, he talks, he says that he is revealing his love in the delay and his patience. 
because he does not want anybody to perish but to come to repentance. We have to broaden our scope and our perspective that again, life is just not solely about you and everybody else revolves around you. There are people at play. We are connected to people that God is working through us connectedly to move through us. Him moving through me means he's going to move through you. Him moving through Jama means he's going to move through the people that she meets greeting outside every Sunday. We are all connected. And if God moves through me, then he moves through you because it changes me and it'll change how I react to you. It'll change how I see you. It'll change how I look at you and how I treat you. We're all connected in this. So God is patient with us and we need to be patient with him. He sure is patient with me. That's for sure. I, there are many times where God's like, well, how about you get it? You know, <laughs> that he is so patient with me. This is a major part of our faith, Jesus' return. Not just saying that we believe he will, turn, will return, but believing in a way that reflects in the way we choose to live our lives. I need to live my life in a way that will convince people he's returning. I have to live my way and I have to live my life in that way. As a follower of Jesus, we must train our hearts to love what he loves. Our hearts should break for what breaks for his. His word says that he does not want any to perish. So that should be our mission. That should be my mission. That should be your mission. You don't want no one to perish? Okay, neither do I. What do I do? Tell me, God. How do I do this? Show me. He says, I don't want none of my children to perish. Got it. What can I do? We're on mission. And the mission is, is that we love one another so that they can see the light of eternity. Not so that they can look at me and be like, what a good person, <laughs> right? It's so that they can see God, not my goodness. Matthew 24, 37, 39 says, for it will be exactly like it was in the days of Noah. When the son of man appears before the flood, people lived their lives eating, drinking, marrying, and having children. They didn't realize the end was near until Noah entered the ark. And then suddenly the flood came and took them all away in judgment. It will happen the same way when the son of man appears. And at that point, if they don't have him in his heart, it's too late. The flood came and they're not in the boat. And we were there with the knowledge of his return. First Thessalonians 4:15, 5 through 4 says this. This is the word of the Lord. We who are alive in him and remain on earth when the Lord appears will by no means have an advantage over those who have already died, for both will rise together. For the Lord himself will appear with declaration of victory, the shout of an archangel and the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then we who are alive will join them, transported together in the clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air, and we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these truths. Now, beloved brothers and sisters, concerning the question of God's precise times and specific seasons, you don't need me to write anything to you, for you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and as a complete surprise. For while some are saying, finally, we have peace and security, sudden destruction will arrive for their door at their doorstep, like labor pains seizing a pregnant woman with no chance of escape. But you, beloved brothers and sisters, are not living in the dark, allowing that day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal in the night. Not only do I not want that day to creep up on me, I don't want it to creep up on my kids. 
I don't want it to creep up on my husband. I don't want it to creep up on the people that I love. And then I should take it a step further. I don't want it to creep up on anybody in Hamilton Heights. I don't want it to creep up on the people in my workplace. I don't want it to creep up on the book club that I attend. I don't want it to creep up on my friends. I don't want it to creep up on the um, coffee person that I get my coffee from every morning and they know my name and I know theirs. If we believe that the word of God is true and not just the parts that say we're the head and not the tail, it's really easy to believe those parts when it's like telling me I'm the head and not the tail and he's for me, not against me. And I'm like, praise God, right? I need that word. It's easy to believe the words that, that give us immediate uplifting power on our personal lives that I'm going through personally. It's real easy to grab a hold of those words. But do I believe the truth that says he's coming one day like a thief in the night? unexpectedly with the surprise and do I live my life with that urgency looking on my brothers and sisters and living a life that's going to affect them mm -hmm. and draw them close to Jesus ask people who love God to tell you their story take a moment lunch coffee dinner to find out ask people around you who know the father who know Jesus and say tell me your story tell me about the ways he's moved in your life Ask them to testify you, to, to testify to you. And lovers of God, saints, Christians, make the time to testify. Make the time. Take time aside to personally look somebody in the eye who doesn't know the Father, who's struggling, and say, let me tell you what God's done for me. Yeah. Let me tell you what he's done, what he's currently doing, and the promises he's given me. Testify. That's the only way. It's these personal interactions of God's moving power that has happened in our lives that are going to help other people realize and know that God loves them too. Because we can't deny our own experience. There are things God has done in my life that I just cannot deny who he is anymore. There's no going back. I've seen God tangibly, supernaturally move in my life. There's no going back that God isn't real. I just can't. My mind can't go there. My Physical experience with the Father just can't do it anymore. I would be lying to myself. Other people need to know those stories in your lives. They need to know because they need to know the Father. And our testimony is what reveals it to them. So take the time to testify. I pray that you are inspired by stories of imperfect people with the perfect God who loves them regardless. You don't need to have it all together before you have access to the promises that God has. God sees all, knows all, and he still desires a relationship with you. Is it any wonder that Paul was relentless to the point of persecution and death and spreading the message of a love like that, with promises like that? Is it any wonder that Paul was brutally tortured? Is it any wonder that Jesus would go to the cross and go all the way to death for you and I because these promises are grand and they almost seem too good to be true but this is one thing on earth and your entire existence that actually is true mm -hmm. this is it guys this word this is it i want to pray for two things today and i'm already i'm coming to a close okay so you can come on up Beecho, if you want um two things i want to pray for today and I would like to pray for you, and I would like for you to take the time to come pray. Um, right now, this is the school auditorium, but on Sundays, we consider this the altar. 
right? And it's not special because I'm special or because Pastor Steven's special or Ticho's anointing is going to bring the house down with his guitar. He has an amazing anointing to play. But it's an altar because it's where we come to lay our desires down at his feet. It's a place, an altar is where we come and say, God, burn up everything in me that does not belong there. Back to 2 Corinthians, that first scripture I read. Remove everything from my life that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. The goal for that wasn't just so that I could be holy and people can look at me and think I'm holy, but because when we remove things that contaminate us, we remove blocks and walls that bring us closer to Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to be as close as I possibly can get to him because he heals and he brings me peace in a world that is chaotic, in a world that is scary, in a world that does crazy things to the people that it loves, right? You see, the world loves. And the world loves back. It's this mutual giving and taking, but it is broken and it is hurtful. The love will give you, the world will give you what you want, but it doesn't mean it's fulfilling. It doesn't mean it's healing. It's broken and jagged and it'll cut you on the way down. Jesus doesn't love like that. And so I just want to offer the altar this morning. If you have things in your life this morning where you feel like, God, I want you to remove some contaminants. I want you to purify my body. I want to offer my life as an offering on the altar and burn up anything in here that doesn't belong because I just want to be close to you. I want to remove the things that keep me far from you. And it's not God saying, I can't come close to you. I don't want to come close to you until you do it. It's us saying, I don't want to be close to you. It's us deciding, I want these things more than what I want you. It's our choice, not his. He wants us regardless. But it's what we decide to hold on so tight to that keeps us from wanting him fully. If you want the courage and boldness to live a life that reflects the promises of God, his love and his return, his story is enough. It's okay if your story is not colorful or if it's too colorful. It's okay. His story is enough. It's his story that matters, not yours. It's his past, present, and future that matters, not you, when it comes to his healing and his promises. If you want to make a commitment to boldly testify of his love and return, I would love to pray with you for